1: Today is Monday, April 22nd, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 311, featuring Celtics.com reporter Mark D'Amico, is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Get a 50% bonus on your first deposit by going to BetOnline.ag slash Celtics Beat and using the promo code CLNS50 at checkout. Hey, everyone. Welcome back into Celtics Beat. Thanks for your uh, patience with us, I guess. I know normally we drop on Sundays. Wanted to push this one off to Monday, though, because what can I tell you? I had a gut feeling this series was going to end in four. It did. That's great. We have a lot to talk about, including the fact that it's it's really been an absolutely horrible first round of the NBA playoffs and lefts, of course you are a Boston Celtics fan. C's swept the Pacers in four first series sweep since 2011 and somewhat surprisingly only the sixth sweep in a best of 7 ever. For Boston, which means bring on the Bucks. As of this moment, 3 0 series against the Pistons. You can expect the Bucks to easily finish that off. So we're going to spend a lot of time this show, both looking back at the Pacers win and looking ahead to round two, which is going to start over the weekend. So a lot of rest on the horizon for Boston and maybe for the Bucks, depending on whether Milwaukee can close things out tonight. And will Marcus Smart? rejoin the club that's one of the things we're going to get into as well we're going to do it all with Celts reporter Mark D'Amico and uh, take your Twitter questions later on in the show also but Mark welcome in uh, first team in the NBA to advance to the second round of the playoffs the Celtics just like we all predicted right yeah
2: exactly I was just talking to someone last night I said hey before the postseason started would you have ever thought that this was what was going to happen during the first round, and they were like, absolutely not. I mean, you rewind them like a month and a half ago, and I don't think anyone in the NBA thought the Celtics were going to be the first team to get out of the first round, number one, and number two, to actually sweep their opponent. So, uh, pretty crazy turnaround, but as everyone said after last night's game, reset button after the regular season, seems like the C's really did hit that button. Now they're back on track.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of us joked around about whether you could believe in flipping the switch and all of that during the regular season. At least it looks like through four games... Celts have done that. You know, the Pacers, they're scrappy, they're pesky, they fight hard. All of those things that we observed over the last four. But they don't have any stars, let alone superstars. They ended the season, I, I don't think this is talked about enough, and Adam Himmelsbach had this tweet. I didn't even realize it was as bad as it was. They ended the season below 500 without Victor Oladipo, 16-23, and 23 including the sweep. It's easy to look at this series, Mark, and say... It was easy because it was a sweep. We know it wasn't if you watch the games. Indiana could have conceivably won any or all of the four games, as Boston did. So give Boston credit for winning. But at the same time, you know, I'm not alone in believing that would have been an ugly series against a genuinely good team, like the one it's going to get next in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about the Seas play?
2: Well, you know, first and foremost, I about a month ago, I would say, right when it started to become clear that the Celtics and the Pacers were going to meet in the first round, I thought that it was the perfect matchup for the Boston Celtics. And not only, like you said, Victor Oladipo was out, which obviously gives the Celtics the advantage in in the talent aspect of this whole thing. But when you look at just the way the Pacers play, they play so hard. They're kind of like those Celtics teams with Isaiah Thomas where you knew every single night that they took the floor, you were going to have to play hard. And if you didn't, you were probably going to lose simply because they would out-effort you. And the Pacers were a lot like that this season, and they were like that during the series. I mean, they never gave up. As you saw, they kept coming back anytime the Celtics built a lead. Um, every time you thought they were going to go away, they didn't. And I think playing a series against a physical team that plays with effort, that every now and then was going to make a big shot. I mean, Bogdanovich made some big shots uh, to keep them in the game throughout the series, and so did Tyreek Evans, to be honest with you. Uh, But when you're playing against a team that brings those characteristics to the table every single night and you know they're going to bring that characteristic to the table every single night, you know that you have to do the same. And if you look through the Celtics 82-game regular season roller coaster, they didn't bring those characteristics to the table every Mm -hmm. single game. And that's the biggest reason why they were so up and down and, like I said, riding that roller coaster. But I think it was a reality check to them that when they watched the film and they saw the game plan, they knew that they had to do those things or they were going to get embarrassed. And as a result, those characteristics that were kind of lying dormant throughout the regular season, they were awoken. And now they're awake. Now the Celtics feel like they're rolling. And now I think they're a dangerous team. They're they're the team that Milwaukee did not want to surface going into the second round. But they have surfaced. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the next round. But uh, that's the most interesting take that I see, is that this team is playing differently simply because of the opponent that it had to face during the first round and an opponent that it should have beaten and did beat.
1: I'll tell you, the most encouraging thing to me in terms of play, and a lot of it is what you said, but building on that, it's, it's mental toughness. It's the fact that Boston closed. It finished games. It didn't give them away. When it was time to stifle Indiana defensively or make a big shot or rally from a deficit or hold a lead, it did those things. And that was rarely the case during the regular season.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look back at last night, what, five or so minutes left? And it's a close game. And I think it was a one-point game at that time. And I tweeted out, I said, five minutes left with a chance to end the series. This is when great teams hunt and kill. And right after that, that's exactly what the Celtics did. Kyrie Irving took over. Jason Tatum took over. Gordon Hayward took over. You saw them all making plays. And that's what great players have to do. Like, you're not going to succeed in the postseason if your best players – don't have a killer mindset. And last night, for the first time, uh, well, I guess it happened earlier in the series as well, but for the first time in a closeout game, this group was able to show that they have a killer mindset. And I don't know if we all knew that that existed during the regular season. Kyrie <laughs> Irving talked about it all season long, saying, when the postseason gets you, you know, the famous quote, because I'm here, about why the Celtics are going to be successful during the postseason. But, I mean, it's real. Like, <laughs> 37 points during Game 2. He made some huge plays during Game 3 and Game 4 down the stretch. And then Tatum and, as I said, Hayward last night. I mean, you just got so many players with that killer mindset. And I think that that can carry you through close games, which you're going to experience. When you get into the second, third round of the playoffs, and then, hey, hopefully maybe to the NBA Finals, you're going to play close games. And you need to make – clutch shots like the Celtics did last night, and you got to have that killer mindset.
1: I love, too, how great is it to see Erotic City lighting it up again? Kyrie, Al, <laughs> Jason, Jalen, Gordon, that we haven't seen these this group play a ton of minutes together over the mm-hmm. last few games, but when it does, I don't even know what the net rating is off the top of my head. I know it's really, ridiculous. really good. Yeah it's, ridiculous? yeah, it's absurd on both sides. Offensive, defensive, the efficiency has been out of this world. This is exactly what we pictured anyway, what we envisioned when the season started.
2: Yeah, and a big reason why is, from the defensive side at least, Gordon Hayward. I mean, watch – film, and actually, Kyrie Irving, if you watch a couple of games of this, this series, those guys are playing so hard defensively. And I, I don't think people in Boston really realize how good of a defender Gordon Hayward is and was prior to the injury. And because they didn't see that through the first 60-some-odd games of the regular season because the guy was recovering from a, a, a serious, serious injury to his ankle – It's starting to show now, and he is playing outstanding defense, lock and trail defense, coming around curls, around screens. Um, He's harassing everyone. He's defending consistently. And Kyrie Irving, that effort that we saw during the first month, two months of the season when he was just playing all out for 48 minutes, that's back, and that's a dangerous aspect of this team. But you talk about that erotic city lineup. I love the name. I laugh every time I hear it. (laughs) Uh, But. Back, back when the Celtics and Brad Stevens made that switch in the starting lineup and put Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris in there, I said to a few people, I said, I think this might last for a little while while the team is succeeding, but at some point when everyone's healthy and everyone's playing well, that opening night starting lineup is coming back. And I thought it was actually going to happen during the regular season. Maybe the Celtics lose four in a row. Maybe if they lose six out of eight, something like that. Brad Stevens says, all right, I'm going to go back to that lineup, see if they can jumpstart us. But he kept saving it. And now, all of a sudden, in the postseason, they're lighting it up. And, you know, that, that can't be a good sight for Mike Budenholzer to see on the other <laughs> side of the ball when he's got to try to prep for that team. Because you might see that lineup for 15 to 25 minutes a night um, come the next series against the Milwaukee Bucks. And as you just said about the net rating that's a scary thing to play against.
1: I think Booneholzer kind of gets, you know, has nightmares when he sees that green on the other side anyway. <laughs> it's just been some tough series <laughs> there that, with Atlanta. Uh, the yeah, exactly. He knows a thing or two about what he brings to the table. But let's yeah. keep going with Gordon Hayward and his play because I'm not going to say he's all the way there, in large part because he's asked to do different things in Boston than he was in Utah. But he's looked yep. a lot like his old self basically since the beginning of March. You know, you can go back about six weeks now. In 17 games that he has played in, he has scored in double Figures in 15 of those. He's made at least half his shots in 14. Boston has won 14 of those games. He's aggressive on both ends of the floor. He's attacking. He's not shying away from contact. He's confident. The shot is falling with regularity. I can go on and on. I can keep going with some of the stuff that you mentioned. Team high 20 points in the clincher in his native Indiana, and he's feeling great. As are Kyrie Irving, and Brad Stevens. Let's hear from them.
0: There's nothing worse than sitting there and and not being able to play in the playoffs especially. And to be able to be with my teammates... Be a part of, of something like this where we got a chance to sweep the Pacers and after everything that happened last year and it makes it all worth it, no doubt. And it's just the beginning for us. So we got, we still got a lot of work to do. This is his city. You know, this is where he's from and I'm glad that he had a chance to put on a performance like that in a closeout game that, you know, it really means something to him. It's been a, a long process to get back to where he probably feels as good as he does now and um, we knew that going in we said all year 20 40 60 80 every game's going to be every 20 games he's going to be a little bit better and uh, he was big at the end of the game tonight for sure
1: mark many of us said going into the playoffs and going back to probably halfway through the season when he started to at least occasionally turn a corner that hayward would have to be the x factor for this team in the postseason we're seeing it now
2: yeah, no, he's been great. And you said mid-March. I would actually rewind to mid-January. Hmm. If you really look at the numbers, he started playing well in mid-January, but then uh, as we saw, uh, he sprained that ankle right around uh, all-star it, break. the all-star break, yeah. I believe. So that Yeah, the workout was shemmy. For a couple of weeks. But he started to show all of those signs consistently in mid-January. So it's been a little while now. And the closer and closer you get to 100 games, as Brad Stevens said, 20-40, 60-80, And, you know, Gordon Hayward kind of commented on that a little bit last night. But the closer you get to those 100 games, the closer he's going to be to the guy that we used to see in Utah. And and what I'm seeing now is, and I think what everyone is seeing now, is that when he takes the ball off the dribble, it's with aggression. Mm -hmm. And it's not only aggression to create for teammates, which is what he was doing for the first, I'd say, three to four months of the regular season, every time he turned a corner and tried to take the the ball to the basket, he was looking to pass. He was not looking to shoot because he couldn't elevate and he couldn't get a shot over defenders, uh, especially if there's a shot blocker in the paint. But now he's aggressive for himself as well. And that's why he's getting to the free throw line more often. That's why he's finishing in the paint more often. And to me, that's a game changer because, you know, if you've got a scouting report over the first three or four months of the season on Gordon Hayward, you know, you know, that as a help defender, you don't necessarily need to sag off your defender and, and, and kind of close off the paint for Gordon Hayward because you know a pass is coming from him. Now, if that that's not the case. Now on that scouting report, it's probably, you know, a 50-50 split of whether he shoots, uh, you know, takes it to the basket for his own shot or kicks it out to a teammate for a perimeter jumper or they can make a play off the dribble. So it just complicates things for the opponent to, uh, you know, I'd say another two or three notches on the scale of how they're going to defend the Celtics when Gordon Hayward is on the court. That's number one. But number two, when you, when you talk about him passing, he is an elite passer. Mm -hmm. He sees things that a lot of people don't see number one. And number two, he makes perfect decisions. I mean, he, he does not turn the ball over. He does not pass the ball into passing lanes that are not there. Brad Stevens and the rest of the team are comfortable when the ball is in his hands and there's a reason why they feel that way. Uh, And now that he's doing all these things, the Celtics, pick up a couple of notches, and they turn into such a more difficult team to
1: defend. Well, there's a reason why Brad Stevens, uh, I think it was at the beginning of this year, maybe back in training camp, if not earlier, that he referred to Gordon as, at least one healthy, a, a wing Al Horford, you know, a guy that just does yeah. a lot of different things right. I know people kind of laughed at that and heard it and said, well, great, now two max free agents that aren't going to give us 30, <laughs> 30 and 10 a night or whatever it is. But it's yeah. it's true. I mean, these guys, when... Fully able and even went a little bit limited, quite frankly, because you look at Al last game, you know, terrible shooting game, but did so much on the defensive end. These guys are difference makers, the kind of guys that you need, hopefully anyway, to win championships, if not this year and in in the years to come.
2: Yeah. And most importantly, and when you talk about being kind of a wing Al Horford, you remember when Al Horford played? Point guard for the Celtics. You know, when, when guys went down a few years ago, I mean, right. he was basically running the offense. Yeah. Even last year, he, well, he was second in the league, I think, in assists behind Jokic um, for, for centers. But Gordon Hayward, the reason why he's not starting right now, and this is the only reason why he's not starting right now because he's playing at a level where he should be starting. The only reason he's not starting right now is because when you put him into the game and you stagger the minutes between him and Kyrie Irving, you have a playmaker ball handler in there at all times, right? and Gordon Hayward is essentially the backup point guard right now, um, and obviously Terry Rogier is in there as well, but Gordon Hayward's playing 30-plus minutes a night. Terry Rozier is probably playing between 15 and 20 a night, I would say, maybe 22, 23, depending on how he's playing, but Gordon Hayward right now is the backup point guard, and Brad Stevens has, has kind of put the, the keys in his hand to run that second unit when Kyrie Irving checks out of game, and as I said, that is the only reason why he's not starting right now.
1: So another positive, and this speaks to that, to the balance and depth of this team. Irving hasn't had to do everything. Matter of fact, he didn't even play particularly well in Game 4. It's mm-hmm. Tatum, Brown, Horford, Morris, Rozier, obviously Hayward. All of these guys have, in just a four-game playoff sample, had some huge moments. You know, that cohesion, that buying into roles, and and Brown certainly is a guy that you highlight with that. Rozier now more recently. It's important. It goes without saying. But forget on the floor, especially because you're much closer than most of us are. You're behind the scenes. You travel with these guys. How has that impacted the psyche of this group off the court?
2: Well, this team has always been confident because they've always known how much talent is in the locker room, but it hasn't always fit together. And now, obviously, it appears to be fitting together. And I've always said this, and I maintain this about the Celtics throughout the season. A team with this much talent only needs about one to two weeks of really good play to really turn things around and we've seen now from the Celtics if you rewind to the you know the end of the regular season the fi- probably the final about 2 or so weeks they were playing well then they're playing even better now but that's about 3 straight weeks that they've strung together of playing really high level basketball i think they've won um, 10 out of the last 12 games overall including that sweep over indiana and when you get rolling uh, as a group that has this much talent, that's when you know the smiles start to pop onto people's faces. That's where uh, there's more high fives. There's more, you saw it last night. Someone goes down, the three teammates sprint over and help them up. That did not happen early on in the season because this team just wasn't getting along. And now I think, and I don't want to say that just the, the positive play is what's sparking this, but I think that they've just really, it took a while for these guys to learn each other on or off the court, but they're finally there. And now they're rooting for each other all the time. They're helping each other out all the time. And those are difference makers for a team that's trying to make a deep postseason run. Like you're not going to look at the Milwaukee Bucks who won whatever amount of games that they won this season and look at them throughout the regular season and see them not helping each other up off the floor, not rooting for each other from the bench. You're not going to, you did see those things. That's why they were successful. And now the Celtics are showing those things, and that's why they are starting to be successful, and they're starting to
1: look like a team instead of a group of individuals. Well, I think part of it too, Mark, and this is any team, this isn't even just the Celtics. We know behind the scenes, and, and some of it has filtered into the media, there have been some struggle this this year, especially when it comes to ego, to attitude. Winning is just easier. And I don't mean winning is easy, that's not. But when you are, the environment is better, everybody's happier, you're not as concerned with individual stats because you can't publicly be because hey they're winning so you have to just kind of accept things and again guys are happier there isn't the finger pointing all of that you know with what we saw over the course of the year when things were not going well versus what is happening right now and all the things you just said about while they are do you fear regression if there's a poor start against the bucks be it in game or for a couple of games how fragile kind of I guess for lack of a better word, do you view the situation as, boy, things are really great right now, but it wouldn't take much to go back to where we were?
2: Yeah, well, I think fragile is the right word to use um, when you're talking about you know, the question that you're asking. But I, I think that they're past the fragile point. And that's kind of what I was getting at is when I was talking about when you've got a team with this much talent stringing together three to four weeks of really good play. Uh, if that was four days, six days, maybe a week and a half, and then they regress after that, now you're talking about fragile. And we saw that throughout the regular season. But now that it's three to four weeks consecutive of playing at this level, I just think that that puts the team at a different mental state. And that's another reason why that series against Indiana was so perfect for them because it challenged them mentally. I mean, you saw them blow a 15-point lead that turned into a five-point deficit. Still, they came back – and won that game. And during the regular season, there is no way they win that game. The the Pacers go up by five, and then they pull away and win. But during the postseason, when this team has it seems just a different mental state, Boston comes back and storms on for the win. And not only does that, but they do it on the road. Uh, so I, I just think that the team is in a different place right now, and I don't think that that uh, that fragile mindset is even existing anymore because the talent has come together. The team has come together, and it's been that way for a pretty long duration at this point. Where I think all of that stuff from the regular season is they're kind of like, you know, sweeping it under the rug. Not to use <laughs> a term that we used a lot last night, but they're sweeping it under the rug because it's in the past, and it doesn't matter now if the team can keep playing the way that it is right now, and I think that they will.
1: Or to mimic Jalen Brown on the sideline there with the broom, which, of course, I don't know if you saw it, either saw it live or saw the clip. It, it kind of begged the question, has he ever used a broom before? Because yeah, the no, sweeping motion, was it was not good.
2: I, I would be interested to see where everything would go on the floor if he did use that sweeping <laughs> motion while actually trying to sweep something up. This is guy who, I'm not sure he's, he's
1: ever cleaned it. anything in his life.
2: Yeah. It's going in the dustpan. I don't think it's going in the trash
1: can. All right. So the Celtics and Bucks met in the playoffs last year. It was a ten seven game series. It was a lot of fun. This one is going to look different, for better or worse. Because for starters, Boston has a healthy Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, but possibly no Marcus Smart for the entire round. And we'll spend more time on that. Milwaukee much better than it was last year too. Best record in the league, sixty victories. Best defense fifth best offense to me the MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Irving said regular season results and narratives they they just don't matter to him right now.
0: I'm not really paying attention to who was the top team in the conference during the regular season you know those wins are racked up already those are pretty set i think at this point it's really about who you know who could beat the team in seven in seven games like i said before as well it's just the reset button uh we know what to expect we have played against uh detroit milwaukee pretty often throughout the regular season up and down with those guys um, but now you get a chance to prepare and now everyone knows each other's plays and now it's just about playing great brand of basketball
1: I love Kyrie actually acknowledging Detroit because nobody else expects the Pistons to even have yeah, a chance he but a, at least he's he's showing respect so that's nice.
2: He did it multiple times. Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of, I kind of respect it because you know, as a professional he just didn't want to throw the other team under the bus. So we all know that the Bucks are winning that series and he knows the Bucks that are winning that series. and He's probably looking at the Bucks today but I thought that was a great gesture out of him to not kind of throw a team under the bus cuz I know if he was on a team that was down, you know, oh three, he wouldn't want to be thrown under the bus by anyone else.
1: No, it was nice, and and frankly, a lot of his teammates, Marcus Morris, comes to mind, did not do that. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we we know what reality is. But what are you expecting? Howard didn't even do that, right? So, what are you expecting this time around in this series?
2: Well, you know, I think it's hard to say it's going to be a more difficult series than it was last time because it went seven games last season. So it was obviously as difficult as it can come in terms of how long the series lasts, Uh, but. As you said, this Bucks team is just different. And number one, Giannis has taken it to another level. And the 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 system that's around him now is just operating at such a high level. And, and the fact that Brooke Lopez is shooting threes from thirty five feet on um, like catch and shoot as a center, as a seven foot center, really opens things up for them. Mm-hmm. And a, a a big a big success, a big key to the success last postseason was that the Celtics were they sagged off and they kind of took away the lane from Giannis Antetokounmpo and they didn't have a guy like Brooke Lopez who was spacing the floor. So I'll be really curious to see what the Celtics do this time around in this series to try to combat Giannis because they they can't allow him to be a monster who just dominates every single game. They're not going to be able to win this series if that's the case. I mean, maybe they can if all of the other guys don't show up, but we've got an entire season's worth of evidence saying that they are going to show up. And Eric Bledsoe is playing at a different level than he was last season. Chris Middleton is Chris Middleton. And then you've got all those shooters that are spacing around Giannis. It's kind of like the old days with Shaq and Dwight Howard. I mean, you put great shooters around them, and you turn the team into a super dangerous team. Uh, so I just think that the, the Bucks are at a different place in terms of what their system is, in terms of how Giannis Antetokounmpo and what level he's playing at. And then we talked about confidence with the Celtics. The, the Bucks have been there all season. Right. This isn't a new thing for them. Like They've been confident in saying that they're the best team in the league all season, and they've got the best player on, in the league on their team all season. So I think that that confidence is, is going to make a difference this season uh, just in and of itself. And then you talk about home court. That's the last thing. The Celtics are going to have to try to steal some games on the road during the series to be able to win it. Uh, and that's another reason why you look back at that Pacers series And, you know, it was great to play against a team that didn't have a great crowd, that didn't have a great takeover superstar, and be able to beat that team on the road because now mentally and and at least subconsciously, the Celtics will be able to think that they can be successful on the road because they have been, even though they didn't have to battle through a a crazy, I mean, the crowds in Indy weren't very good, but they won on the road. And I think that that gave them uh, a little bit of uh, it planted the seed for success on the road this postseason that they just simply didn't have last postseason, especially when they played in
0: Milwaukee.
1: We'll get right back to Mark, want to take a quick break today. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. NBA playoffs are here, so it's time to make some serious money. Celtics plus twelve hundred to win the NBA title. Not a bad bet if you're a diehard seas fan looking to make some money during the playoffs. Not feeling as confident, just go series by series. Against the Bucks? Might be time to open up that wallet. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat and get a 50% bonus when you sign up. Use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all this excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play in bet online's virtual casino. Make some money there, too. The options, I mean, it feels like they're endless. Plus, you always have futures bets you can play. MLB season, that's in full swing. NFL futures already out. NFL draft is coming up later this week. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit or just go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. All right, let's get back to the show. A lot of the things you just highlighted are reasons that people listening can say, all right, well, Bucks should and maybe will win this series. What would it take to upset the Bucks for the Celtics? Boil it down to a couple factors.
2: Well, number one, Kyrie Irving's got to be great. Like the Celtics aren't going to win the series if Kyrie Irving isn't great. And that's a hefty task because he's going to be playing against one of the best defensive point guards in the league and Eric Bledsoe. He's been a pit bull since the day he came into the league when he was back on the Clippers. That's what everyone knew him for. They didn't know him as a scorer. They knew him as a defender. So Kyrie is going to have to take it to another level and be able to take it to uh, Eric Bledsoe and and kind of lead the Celtics throughout this series. But I would say if I had to point to a few different things, number one, um, it's Kyrie Irving playing at a high level. Number two, it's the Celtics. Quote, or or, or simply put, just making shots. Like they made shots against uh, the Pacers throughout throughout four games when they needed to. You you know, you look at a guy like Marcus Morris. You look at a guy like uh, Gordon Hayward. Those guys, those role players, need to make shots. And it sounds simple, but it's the truth. Because if you look on the other side of the ball at the Pacers. They didn't make shots when they needed to, and that's why they lost the series. So you've got to just make shots. And number three, I think the Celtics are just going to have to play a level of defense that takes a few of Milwaukee's top players down a notch, right? Like Eric Bledsoe can't score 18 to 20 points a game during this series. Chris Middleton can't average 25 points a game for the series like he did last year. Mm-hmm. You've got to take those guys down at least a little bit of a notch. Maybe, you know, I don't, I don't want to put specific numbers on it, but maybe, you know, one to two points, maybe three points per game from what they average and what they average during the first round. You've got to take them down a notch to be able to give yourself a chance. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's what I would stick it to is those three things. And Kyrie Irving's got to play great. Uh, Boston's role players need to make shots. And then number three, you've just got to play defense at a high level that takes their top players down a notch from what they displayed throughout
1: the season. Well with that last point too, and I think it's a good one, you know, as as long as you are able and it's a big ask with some of the names that you rattled off, but if you can mm-hmm. take those guys down by two, three points below their season averages you can allow Giannis to be Giannis and not worry about having to, quote-unquote, contain him, you know, because he's still going to get his. We've seen it in every single matchup, and we saw it in the series last year. But you don't have to worry as much about him going off and being the guy if you're taking the guys around him out. But we know yes, that— uh, I agree with, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. So, no, I,
2: I, I was just going to say I agree with that, and and that's why— <laughs> It's really, it's so simple, but I really do think the series might come down to making shots. Mm-hmm. And the people who are on the Boston Celtics around Kyrie Irving have a better track record of making shots than the guys who are around Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, Bledsoe shot the ball great this year, but he, he's not a great scorer. Um, Ersan Ilyasova, like, Brooke Lopez, like, all of these guys haven't necessarily done it in the postseason. we've seen the guys around Kyrie Irving do it in the postseason. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues, where the Celtics do it and the Bucks don't. Uh, but I think that might be that that might be what the series comes down to: is
1: just who makes shots. Well, I'll apologize to you because I would never deliberately cut someone off who's going to tell me that I'm right. That's, <laughs> you know, that's that <laughs> works for me. That's good. Neither would I. Hey, so we know perhaps the full week off, because that's basically what it looks like here. The series is going to start over the weekend, Saturday, or more likely Sunday. We know that's going to help heal bumps, bruises, get everybody pretty healthy on the seas. especially if the Pistons can happen to push the Bucks a little bit, maybe win a game or two. That would be great. But are you hearing anything on Smart and whether he can surprise doctors like he did this time last year or maybe return early from this torn oblique?
2: Yeah, um, I don't think that this is an injury where you can surprise doctors. Mm. I'll just put it plainly like that. And and this isn't from talking to Marcus or talking to anyone else. This is just pure speculation, but I don't think that a muscular injury is especially a tear. Exactly. It's not something that you can surprise doctors. I mean, I guess you could, you you know, just heal at a ridiculously fast rate, but I don't think anyone can do that. No one regenerates like that. Um, (laughs) People will call uh, him Wolverine if he does. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just don't throw salt on him. Uh, but, no, <laughs> you know, if he's, if he's got a broken thumb or something like that, okay, then you're talking about a bone, you can battle through some pain, you can come back from something like that. But a tear in the oblique, and especially in the oblique, when your body is twisting and getting, and for a guy like Marcus Smart, fighting through screens constantly on the perimeter, you've got to be healthy so that that doesn't get taken back and torn again because that's the last thing that you want. Um, just talking to Marcus you know when he 's had a couple of media availabilities over the last week while we were in um, in Indianapolis, he made it sound like he 's progressing, which is obviously good, but i don 't think he 's progressing at a point where we 're going to see him back in three weeks, three and a half weeks, and even four weeks, which is the short end of that original time frame that was sent out by the celtics i don 't know if that's if that 's going to happen he 's a, a little over two weeks right now. It might actually be two weeks in a couple days at this point. Um. actually, you know, yep, yeah, two weeks and a couple of days. Um, but he isn't even running yet. Um, he's doing very, very light workout on the court in terms of, like, standstill shooting um, from 5 to 10 feet. Uh, so he hasn't even progressed to being able to run yet, let alone take contact. Uh, so I, I think if he comes back in this series, the series is going to have to go, to six or seven games mm-hmm. and then even at that point I don't know if you throw him out there simply because the Celtics are going to be needing to play pretty good basketball to be able to get to that point so I don't know if you want to you know try to reinsert someone into a lineup when uh, it could kind of ruffle the feathers of, of the good that you have going on I think it's totally fine if you're if you do that going into the next series because uh, you get time to kind of work him back in through practice and things like that. And this isn't to say that if Marcus is available, he's not going to play. But I just don't know if he's going to play 30 minutes of a game like he did during the regular season. Uh, But obviously, he's a great defender. You need a guy like that to be able to throw out there against uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So if he does come back toward the latter end of the the series, if if the series does go that long – I think it's it's an option to throw him back in there but I, I don't even know if he's going to be back by that time to be quite honest with
1: you. Well, on that last point too, it and this is just kind of a different way to say what you just said, which is realistically even if he is good to go and I'm not even sure that that would be fair to say because he wouldn't be close to 100%, he would just be I don't know, able to a certain extent. Playable. Well, yeah. yeah, playable. What you know, what can you even realistically ask from him at that point? Yeah, well, and I, it's not close to 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, and I think the only thing that you would ask from him, and it's exactly what Marcus Smart would want you to ask from him, is to be out there, play as hard as you can, and just provide great defense. Yeah, irritating.
1: He, he,
2: would be an, he would be another option to throw at Giannis. And, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, you rewind to a couple of years ago when Brad Stevens would throw Marcus Smart on a guy like Chris yeah. he's He's played against Dirk Nowitzki. You know, these types of players who you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, Marcus Smart would be a great guy to throw at him. Yanis uh, Antetokounmpo is another one of those guys, so it's just another look to be able to throw at de Antetokounmpo during this series. Um, you know, should the Bucks advance, which we all believe, um, but again, I don't know if he's going to be back in time to play in the series. It'll be about three weeks um, when the series begins. You know, from the injury, mm-hmm. so you know it would take the Celtics going a little while in the series to to give him even the opportunity to come back. Uh, But then, like we talked about, I I just don't know um, if it would be a safe move for the rhythm of the team and for his health um, to be able to. But but I will say this, if the Celtics do put him back in the game in in the series, it's because the medical staff believes that he is healthy enough to withstand the hits and all that stuff and go through and not re-injure it.
1: You mean like when he came back into that game the second time? No comment. Yeah. Well, so
2: (laughs) sometimes you got to trust the player, but they're they're gonna they're gonna have imaging this time around, right? Right, During the game, they didn't have an image. No. And and at this point, they're probably gonna be getting imaging on on a daily basis when they're getting ready to have him back on the course, so they will know the imaging, if it's actually healed or right. if it's torn like it was at that time.
1: No, and obviously I'm just busting balls because yeah, there's I, no, I, there's I, no, I, no I, way they I, could have known at that time. Otherwise, yeah. there's no way he was going back in there. Danny Ainge, mm-hmm. even on the radio the next morning, whatever it was, thought, hey, it's day to day. Nobody expected four to six weeks, but you know, let's operate under the mindset of no Marcus that makes Terry Rozier that much more important. And you know, first off with this series, and I I tweeted this, maybe you saw it, but I I feel very strongly about this. I think you need to pass it along. If Terry doesn't show up to game one in Milwaukee in a Drew Bledsoe Jersey, I think we've all failed.
2: Well, I will say this about Terry Rozier and he actually just made an, uh, an appearance on get up this morning. on ESPN. he was pretty good, you know, talking about some of this stuff, but, um, he is a confident man, yeah. And i don't is. I don't think I don't think that he would shy away from anything like that. And this isn't to say that he's going to do that because I don't know if he wants to ruffle the feathers before the season or the series even starts. Uh, but I, I do think that that might be a possibility because um, he's a guy who is, like I said, confident, and his confidence motivates himself. Like, like right. he plays better when he is feeling like he should be that confident. So um, it'll be interesting to see if that good old Drew Bledsoe jersey comes out during this series, too.
1: Well, and as long as you guys at the Celtics have Drew on uh, retainer to maybe have him back at the Garden for Game 3, <laughs> like, let's just let's see a fun repeat.
2: Those were great moments. Yeah. <laughs> great <laughs> moments
1: should they stand alone that's the question but uh spe- speaking of rosier okay because he's been in fact impactful without smart in this lineup he's taken advantage of his opportunity Brad after the game nothing but uh, complimentary of terrier after that series win
0: he can go to a level physically um and competitively um that can be effective especially at this time of the year and and uh um, I'm really happy for him he never I don't think he ever eclipsed 22 minutes or 23 minutes in the series ever but every every minute he played felt impactful we we all know what he can do when he's given more opportunity. So for him to just stay the course all year and be ready for this time of the year to make a big difference is a you know kudos to him.
1: So like you said, Terry's confident he was as eager as anybody, Mark, to hit the reset button on his individual season. Will he keep this up against the Bucks?
2: I do think that he will. Uh, and I think that I think that because he's got an opportunity um matchup wise to do so. We've already seen that he can be successful against a guy like Eric Bledsoe, we've we've already seen him be successful against a guy like George Hill. Uh, so these are not like big, strong, powerful guards that Terry Rozier can't compete with. You know what I mean? They're like he he, it's a setup um, and a matchup that kind of caters to what he can bring to the table. Mm. Um, so, and I think I do want to point this out is that what Brad was talking about there, and uh, what we kind of saw throughout the first round series. The Celtics are not asking Terry Rozier to be the guy that was in the postseason last year. Last year, he was one of the leading scorers. Last year, he was one of the the leading distributors on the team. Now they're asking him to come off the bench and be an absolute pit bull defensively. And, you know, with Marcus Smart out, they need that defensive pressure, and he's providing it every single night. And if he can do that and then scatter in a few made shots here and there, that's only going to boost the team. Um, So I I do expect him – to continue to play at this level. Um, but I would warn people, like, don't look out and try to see and expect that you're going to see the Terry Rogier that played in last postseason because that, I don't think that guy's going to come out because the Celtics aren't asking that guy to come out. They're asking Terry Rozier to um, capitalize on and utilize his skills defensively and then every now and then make that open shot and make those consistent great decisions that he did um, throughout the Pacers series, and, and that's one of the big reasons why the Celtics are where they are right now.
1: I reserve the right to change my mind, but in this moment, I think Bucks in six. What's your prediction? Well, you know that I'm
2: not saying Bucks. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to say Celtics over the Pistons in four.
1: <laughs> okay, that's a good I mean, way like to do that. it. Yeah, it's a good I way to like do that. it. Did I, by the way, I don't know how much you go into the weird Celtics Twitter stuff. I don't dive as into it as, you know, some of our colleagues do. I, I think it's funny. I'm amused by it. I'm not making fun of it. I just don't spend as much time in the uh, the, the dark web of of that stuff. <laughs> There's but a lot of I,
2: corners of, of that. Th-
1: there really that are. And stuff. I did I miss something? Because I tweeted out yesterday or the day before, like, something about Celtics in Milwaukee for Game 1. And somebody responded don't you mean in Detroit and it got like 40 likes or something like that. And it just made me think like, obviously this person responding didn't think I made a mistake and it really was going to be Detroit coming back in this series. Uh-huh. Is there this some sort of reverse psychology that I'm missing from people out there that I, I, I couldn't understand the number, the support that this uh, response had.
2: I don't know. You know, I got to admit that I'm, I'm not too deep into the weird stuff of Twitter either. Um, I've only got so much time in my day. Yeah, tell me about on, it. On, on, on regular Celtics Twitter. <laughs>
0: uh, but, so
2: I, I can't say that I'm in those dark corners either. Uh, but my guess is just that that's people saying, eh, you know, maybe the maybe the Bucks will blow it, kind of holding out some hope and hoping that the Pistons advance to the next round because we all know the Celtics are, are, are a great matchup against the Pistons. But I, I, let's be honest, that ain't happening. Yeah, I, Celtics and... Bucks in the next round, and it's going to start this coming weekend. And it's going to be a ton of fun.
1: In the remote chance that people actually do feel that way, I will just tell you, now that it's never happened in, in you know, across sports, but historically in the NBA, teams that go up 3-0 in a best of seven with the Celtics win now are one thirty three and 0 in those series. That, so I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I expect a comeback. Good. I don't remember. When did you start with the team? What year was that? That was 2009, so I'm
2: at about uh, 10 years and a month at this point.
1: All right, so you did not overlap with Scott Pollard then? I did not. No, so, He was
2: out the year before me. Right. Um, obviously, I came in and I just missed some jewelry for my hand. Yeah,
1: that would have been nice. Hopefully, you can get that yes, at some point during this tenure. Yeah. But Pollard, maybe you saw this. He tweeted after the Celtics' series win. If you don't think the Celtics are coming out of the East, I've got news for you. They are. Didn't even have a good series and swept the Pacers. Hayward peaking at the right time, looking at ease finally on that formerly bad wheel. Pieces are finally falling into place. Hashtag Banner 18 with a question mark. I like the throwback homerism from Scott Pollard. I'm I'm not sure that I'm uh, enlisting. I'm I'm not necessarily a believer as much as I would like to be. But I like that this time of year is when we get to start to hear from the Scott Pollards and Gigi Totomes of the world, you know?
2: Oh, no. Gigi's a Celtic for life. Yeah, he is. It. He is. He loves it. But you know, I, I think <laughs> Scott's making a bold, hot take prediction yeah. <laughs> right there. Uh, and you know, we're going to say if that winds up happening, then you're going to look. Everyone's going to look at Scott Pollard, and he's about to go viral in a couple <laughs> weeks if that does happen.
1: Exactly. Uh, but
2: but I, I will say this: like we all know that the Celtics have the talent to come out of the East. We all know that they've got the coaching staff to be able to put together game plans to come out of the East. We all know that they can do it. And we're finally seeing the team kind of come together with the pieces fitting together, kind of like that, you know, putting together a puzzle. It's, you're finally starting to figure out where those pieces go and how they fit together. With that being said, they are going to have to play far better against the Bucks than they did against the Pacers. Like, there were some cracks in the defense that simply weren't capitalized on by the Pacers because they don't have the talent level. The Celtics can't allow – those cracks to be there against Milwaukee. And I think those guys, like the players on the team, the coaching staff will be the first to admit it. They didn't play a perfect series. And I don't think they played uh, at, a, at a level where they would say it's their peak. They got to get close to their peak to be able to beat the Bucks because the Bucks, like, we can't lie about it. They've got the MVP, which you and I believe, mm-hmm. and they've got the best record in the NBA. This team is no joke. They've got talent around the whole team, up and down the roster. They've got shooters. So, the Celtics are going to have to really take it up a notch defensively and not have any lapses at that end of the court throughout the series to be able to grab a win.
1: So in a previous life in in my career, I uh, also spent time working for teams while also reporting on teams. So I know it's a... It's a tricky line. It's, it's why when I asked you for your prediction, even if you do internally believe and would tell me off the air that you believe the Bucks will win, I didn't expect you to say on the record while being recorded, yeah, I think the Bucks are going to win. I'm going to ask you this question anyway, though, and, and you can spin it however you'd like. If the Seas do lose this series, given all that we expected you know, going in, a run to the finals and Jalen Brown talking about five championships in six years and all that stuff when the year began, should this season be viewed as a disappointment?
2: I think that comes down to – and this is a total hypothetical of if the Celtics lose the series, correct? Sure, of course. Okay. If that's the hypothetical, then I'm going to set a hypothetical. I think, I think it's the fashion in which the series comes to a close. Like, do the Celtics get swept? Do they do they lose to the Bucks like the Pistons are right now? Uh, if that's the case, then I think everyone would be the first to admit that it was certainly a disappointment. But if you're looking at, you know, going – six or seven games, they're tight games throughout the Celtics have an opportunity in game seven during the final five minutes to potentially win the game. I don't think it's a disappointment. And I think that the the biggest factor in that from my perspective is that the Eastern conference is far better than people anticipated before the season started. Mm -hmm. And I think even going into the postseason this year, if the Celtics happen to be, you know, clicking on all cylinders, throughout the regular season, 160 games, they're the number one seed in the East, and you look at those other three teams below them, I think you still say, See, God, I don't know who's coming out of the East. Because all four of those teams, and we're talking about Milwaukee, Toronto, Philadelphia, and Boston, all four of those teams are capable, and all four of those teams have high-end talent that can take over a series. So, um, you know, long story short, I-, I just think it's the fashion in which that would happen. If, if hypothetically, the Celtics do lose the series to the bucks in order for it to be a disappointment. I think you're going to have to see like disappointing results in terms of how these games go and how the series goes
1: couple of bigger picture things and that's fair by the way that's uh, I'm I'm good I'll take that uh, right. a, a couple of bigger picture things kind of like that I suppose but Brad Stevens he's now over 500 in his NBA playoff coaching career it, it took a little while with you know some he wasn't working with the best talent at the beginning he's 26 and 25 after the sweep now like I said the talent that he's had at his disposal it's changed a lot over the years but has he, from that first playoff series to where he is now, you know how how has he changed as as you've observed it up close? Well, I think
2: when you're going into your first you know couple of playoff years as a coach, uh, I think you just don't necessarily know. I don't know how to phrase this, but I, I don't know if you know exactly how to set forth a game plan for a seven game series, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, I think, you know, and then the in game and in series adjustments, I think, are a little bit different than what you see during a regular season. When you experience that for the first time, even the second time, I think sometimes you don't necessarily um, know exactly what to do and how to do it. And this isn't to say that he made any mistakes during his first couple of years. You know, as you said, that team just wasn't a high, high talent team um, when he went in the postseason the first couple of years. Uh, but, I mean, even, even if you look down in, like, Philadelphia with Brett Brown, like, last season, like, he's got outcoached, right? Like, he, I think he'd be the first to admit that he made a bunch of mistakes during that series, and he didn't coach as well as he should have to put his team in position to win. Uh, it's happening a little bit again with him this season. And there's coaches around the league and, and, you know, coaches who have made debuts. Kenny Atkinson this year for the Nets, I'm sure he would say there's some things that he would change. Um, in that series against Philadelphia, you know, if they wind up losing, um, you would go back and say, oh, I should have done this different. And probably a lot of those mistakes have to do with simply going through it for the first, first time. Uh, I, anything that you do in life, when you do it for the first time, it's going to be difficult, mm-hmm. and you're going to go back and you look and say, gosh, I should have done this or that a different way. So I think um, that, that's just what I would say is that, you know, you learn from experience and certainly Brad Stevens going to the postseason, what is it, like four out of the five years he's been the coach or five out of the six years that he's been head coach of the Boston Celtics, um, he learned through experience in doing that, and he's gotten better every single postseason and learned exactly what you need to concentrate on and what you need to take away from an opponent um, to try to be successful in those series.
1: Going back to Kyrie here, uh, he's just so
0: clearly having fun right now.
1: In fact, he, he said this just a few days ago. It's pretty peaceful,
0: you know. I, I think that uh, you know I'm just happy to be able to be part of a lineage of great players that have put on some unbelievable performances, um, you know, here in the TD as well as in the old Garden, and um, you know it's really special to to know that um, you know the the fans here they're they're rooting us on and um, you know they want everything to be perfect, and uh, you know it's just not the reality of the game, but we do our best to go out there and and really lay it all on the line and. Um, you know, we throw ourselves into the game, and, and we hope for some some great results. So just got to have some just honest resolve, but, like, it felt good. It felt good to be here in this position, playing in this arena. Um You know, it's just been a long journey <clears throat> from having those two knee surgeries and watching the team last year and, and finally getting a chance to lay some up for the Boston Celtics in the NBA playoffs. It, it's nothing like it. Mark,
1: something I've said for a long time about Kyrie Irving is that I just think he's a prisoner of the moment. You know, I think he says what he's feeling at that time, and it may be wildly different than what he feels the next day. But in the moment... It is sincere, kind of like how at the beginning of the year he stood up at that team event, the season ticket holder event, and said, I'm coming back if you guys will have me, and then got pissed at the media and said, you know, ask me about free agency July 1st and all of that stuff. But I feel like listening to him recently, and I'm curious just as, as to your opinion, I'm, I'm not claiming that, that you uh, know definitively, I don't think anybody does, including Kyrie, but it feels like we're at a point where, you know, a series win away, a, a bucks win away, from saying, remember what I said about July 1st, screw it. Of course I'm coming back. You know, because again, he just, he, that's sort of how he operates. How do you feel about, about what this run is doing for him mentally for his future?
2: So I, I certainly think obviously the farther the Celtics go, the better the chances are of retaining him. Um, but I would say that, you know, just to, to go into your comment comment of him being, um, you know, kind of getting caught up in the moment and, you know, talking through emotion. I think obviously there's probably a little bit of truth to that, but, At the same time, I think, you know, what is the old adage that, you know, you never know what someone's going through. Uh, And, and, you know, I can't remember exactly what the term is, but basically never assume anything about someone because you never know what someone's going through. Mm -hmm. I think think that old adage is lost when everyone is is looking at Kyrie Irving. Everyone looks at just the quotes that he says. They have no idea what's going on behind doors. And I'm not saying anything's going on in his personal life or in the locker room or whatever, but – No one knows why he has said the things that he said throughout the regular season. I think that, you know, obviously it's the media's job to speculate. It's the media's job to write stories about him and and project where he's going or if he's staying or all these different things. But in reality, no one knows what's been going on in his life and no one knows what's been going on in his mind. Uh, So I think, you know, making any assumptions about um, the very brief comments that he's made about this topic throughout the regular season is a mistake. I think a lot of the times, um, you know, for instance, that time in New York when he spoke, I think that, um, you know, the New York media kind of brought that out of him. Uh, They were asking some questions that he simply just didn't want to broach at that time. And he got a little upset about it and, you know, didn't give them the answers that they wanted. Um, So I I just think that, you know, when you're looking at someone who's got, and obviously it's, it's a massive decision for both himself and for his family, it affects everyone in his life. Um, People just can't give the guy a break. Don't read into, you know, some brief comments as as much as people have. Um, and, And always, like I said, always understand that and know that not to make assumptions about people because you just never know what's going on behind closed doors.
1: So I won't ask you your opinion on this topic because, again, I get it, but I, just to hammer it home for anyone that may be listening for the first time, even though I've said it throughout the year, I do think he's coming back and I'm I'm anxious for early July when, when we do get that news. Not that I'm rushing the playoffs along because this is clearly a lot of fun. Let's uh, take this out because I've kept you for a while. Let's take this out with a couple of Twitter questions. We've answered sure. several of these topics that I received from people in this chat already, so thank you to those who submitted them along the way. Sorry I didn't call you out individually. Some areas though that we have not specifically touched on this one from uh representing maybe 10 other people as well with this question do you think shemmy's going to get a lot more playing time defending Giannis, or is horford going to take him baines takes lopez lopez as you said good three-point shooter can't see baines guarding him all that well throughout the series so really the the question at the core is are we going to see more shemmy which we really didn't in the first series against the bucks because of a good history from last year
2: Yeah, I do think that you're going to see more Shemmy. And, you know, this is the really cool thing, and we talked about Brad Stevens and his development as a coach in the postseason from, you know, the beginning to where he is now. I think what he's learned over time is that you don't have to stick to the same thing every single series for for your team to be successful. Um, You know, we look back at that series against Chicago a couple years ago. He puts in Gerald Green into the starting lineup. Boom, Celtics take off, and they advance to the next round. Um, He put Shemmy in last year to guard – uh, and no one knew the semi was going to start for the Celtics during that series. Right. And what, what does it wind up doing? Being an enormous factor in the results of that series. So I think Brad Stevens knows that you don't. It, your your formula doesn't have to be the same every single round. And I think that's the really cool thing about Brad is you know he he's not you know he's not an old school coach that thinks that um, you need to practice for two hours or that you're. You're going to maintain the exact same lineup to be successful every single night. He's willing to make changes, and I think that will be one change that we see during the series, and potentially, you know, getting that um, that rotation up to nine players instead of eight.
1: Well, Josh wants to know: Do you think we'll see the same starting five anyway against the Bucks, or or will Brad make a change there?
2: I don't think so. I know so. Like I, I just don't think that there's any chance that the Celtics change tune. Too- um, for this starting lineup going into the next series, and, and you know, I, I know that kind of sounds a little bit contradictory to what I just said, uh, but I think that Brad, you know, e- even if this starting lineup starts and plays three minutes together, I think that's going to happen because mm-hmm. that group with Aaron Baines in the starting lineup just sets a different level of, level of physicality and defensive mentality that then carries on much more so through the the rest of the game um, than if Baines wasn't out there with that lineup at the start.
1: We'll take uh, one more just to keep the show under an hour. Yep. From uh, this goes back to our conversation about Terry Rosier. What is it that you saw last year that made him so successful against Eric Bledsoe, and uh, can we see that same success again?
2: Yeah, I think it's you know we talked about the competitiveness. I mean, Brad Stevens talked about the competitive last night. Like he he's an ultra level competitor, and I think that going through that series last year is going to be a factor for Terry Rozier this year because he doesn't have, uh, you know, let's say he's got no ill will against um, against Eric Bledsoe, but he certainly doesn't want Eric Bledsoe to have any success, okay? He wants to have success <laughs> against Eric Bledsoe, and I think he's hungry for that, and I think he's hungry to show the world that he's still the guy who we saw during the postseason last year that can change a game. And, you know, I said it earlier that he he's not going to change the game by scoring 17 to 20 points during this series. He's going to change the game in a different way um, and making some open shots during his you know 15 to 20 minutes a night uh, and then also just being an absolute pit bull defensively and giving Bledsoe some and George Hill um, a little bit of uh, harassment with that defensive mentality.
1: All right thanks to you guys for your questions and uh, Mark D'Amico reporter clearly analyst for the Boston Celtics as well hopefully I didn't keep you too long but it was a lot of fun.
2: No doubt thanks for having me on uh, hope that happens again soon and- Hopefully that's why we're going into the next round of the
1: conference final. Yeah, there you go. Let's keep this playoff run going for another month and a half or so, and then we'll have plenty more time.
2: <laughs> if it goes another month and a half, then I think we might have a little jewelry on the hand that we were talking about earlier. Even early better. Early.
1: Even better. I'll take it great stuff from Mark that was a lot of fun appreciate him coming on and uh i guess now we've got almost a week now to look ahead and think about the next series so if you're looking for great series preview for Celtics and Bucks and maybe a friend of yours isn't subscribing or listening regularly to Celtics Beat tell him about this show or her because this is uh again a lot of great information coming from Mark and just what we should expect in the next round i wish i could tell you i expected the Celtics to win i couldn't possibly want more than to be wrong about how this series is going to go I just I was not overly encouraged by many aspects of play against the Pacers in round one and the Bucs to me are just such a superior team at least they have been throughout the majority of the year but the Celtics are absolutely as talented the question is can they turn it on or continue to build on where they are at just the right time at just find that perfect recipe that would be terrific it's what we all Want to see, at least if you're listening to this show or maybe you're a Bucs fan scouting, but I doubt it. Subscribe to Celtics Beat. You can get us on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. Uh, Always happy to engage, to debate, to have a good time. We tend to do that. And uh, heavy tweets during these games now that the playoffs are underway, especially even on Easter Sunday, despite my family not uh, loving that. And all that sound that we played too, you can make sure you hear a lot more from where that came from. Subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page and you'll get pregame, postgame, locker room analysis, many other great members of our CLNS team from right there on the court, postgame, dissecting everything that you just watched. So that's always a great treat for you on our uh, YouTube page as well. Today's show is brought to you by betonline.ag. Get a 50% bonus on your first deposit by going to betonline.ag slash Celticsbeat and using the promo code. Code CLNS50 at checkout. Thanks again to Mark DeMico, to my producer Evan Valenti, thanks to Nick, to Larry, John, everybody else at CLNS Media, and as I always say, thanks mostly to you. Without you, there are no shows and we'd just be talking to ourselves, which is not nearly the same amount of fun, and I guess would be a total waste of time. Gino, get us out of here, pal. Let's see you at the garden soon.